Igawau acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the timer for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law, or any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and nondescript. So, let's talk about David Burns' American Utopia. Released on the 17th of October 2020, American Utopia is the filmic recording of David Byrne's Broadway performance of the same name. The show features many songs from Byrne's 2018 album, American Utopia, some covers and some Talking Heads classics, as the band members dance, jump and run around the stage free from chords and amps. The concert has a runtime of 1 hour and 45 minutes, is directed by Spike Lee and may just make you wonder, my god, what have I done? <laughs> Terrific introduction. It was um, an easy one. We are joined by a very special guest tonight. Boy, I got a surprise for you tonight. You got a guest. Welcome, my guest. Say hello to a guest. Uh, a good friend of mine, Ginny McCoolies. Hello. Welcome Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome what a to the Ginny's uh, appearance on the show has been brewing for a while um, as an avid mm. consumer of films and I suppose, I'm guessing, all things Talking Heads, is that true? Yeah, I mean, the latter is definitely true. I don't know if I'm a film consumer, but I'm definitely You have a letterbox for... and that's the, the prerequisite to get on the show, basically. Well, you see, I just love talking and I love offering my unsolicited opinion. So basically, a letterbox account is my dream come true. Yeah. And this it's pod been... is my dream come true. Well, that's all we love to hear. Um, so what, what, was, what were the considerations for the first Ginny episode? Because I know that there are a few names being thrown around out there. Oh, for this one in particular? I mean, to, yeah. to have, uh, I don't know, we haven't really talked about it. I think that Ginny was <laughs> like, am I going to be on the pod? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought just that we could I thought that we could have Judy on for a Harry Potter movie because I know she loves Harry Potters. So I do love Harry Potter. This is true. Mm-hmm. That was my other my other concept. That's good fact checking. Yeah. Um, just well, I do love talking audience. heads more. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Um, this is the perfect film then. Just to give the audience one more bit of information about yourself, what is your top rated film on Letterboxd, if you can remember? If I can remember. Oh, no. Do you have Letterboxd available? Oh, maybe I'll me? do it. Yeah, I'll fact check you. I feel like I gave Joko a very good review. Interesting. Like, a very controversial movie that, that hasn't um, gotten the review yet, but it's been, you know, do we, don't we? So, I think it's a don't we. I think we came to the conclusion <laughs> that it's been done to death. So, Certainly on my Letterboxd account, at least. Yeah. Well, you do what? have Parent Trap at a five star, so maybe I'll, I'll leave that as... <laughs> you know what? I stand by that. Yeah? I said what I said. Okay. Four well, and a half if... of those stars go to those outfits alone. Well, if the uh, early, early plug in the pod, because it's relevant, Ginny Mick 
G-I-N-N-Y-M-C-K-E-W-L-I-E-S. That's where you can find out why Parent Trap is a five-star movie. Yeah. It's, um, Fantastic. It's great literature. I highly recommend everyone reads my reviews. Amazing. All right. I think that we should get into it um, before we dive into the film. We like to check in with each other. Hey, girl. I know it's been a while, but uh, I just need to ask you something. So we'll start with you, Ginny. How are you doing? How much time? <laughs> no, um, no, I'm good. I'm a bit overwhelmed. I think the social cowl has really hit new peaks now that we've come out of lockdown. But I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy that we're on the other side. How are you? I'm good as well. Oh, okay. um, How are you, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Man, she's got I'm the good. podcast sass. <laughs> she's got the hosting position down locked. So I do maybe- have the fancy microphone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, true. Like she's, she's got all my gear. <laughs> I'm rocking the, the Apple headphones and handheld mic, so it's probably like a bit of wriggle noise going on. But Looks like yeah. a TED Talk, but like they cheaped out <laughs> on the um, AirPods and they gave you corded ones instead. Well, what I was uh, saying is that the pod hasn't adapted to the new open world where we do pods in real life. Like we weren't accounting for this. Yeah, we it's weird on that pods by on were Zoom built quality. upon it. Pods were built upon meeting in person and doing a radio show, but not for us. We, well, we cut our for teeth. For example, when, when Tom and Ben recorded one last week, they were in separate rooms over Zoom as opposed <laughs> to doing it in the same room together. That's high tech. So we don't know yeah. what we're doing, but yes. don't let them know. I think I'm the question was, how are you, Tom? <laughs> good. Yeah, I'm similarly good. Uh, I know. It's, it's like low-key busy right now. I feel like that's just the name of the game at the moment. So. But it's mm. fun. Just happy to be doing stuff and changing it up. And going yeah, to the movies, which is the other part of context, which will lead us mm. into this. So, uh, good brother, myself, Ginny, Neb from, the, from an earlier episode. Um, we all went to, what's the theatre called? Westgarth Cinema in Northcote. Nice. We went to Westgarth Cinema and we watched American Utopia and I saw it. We saw it two days after Tenet on IMAX. And let's just say the visual, visual spectacle of American Utopia is nothing to scoff at. Some would <laughs> oh, say that good. they put the wrong film in IMAX 70 mil. <laughs> I agree. I, I was sitting there thinking like, I wish that we had like those big ass IMAX speakers. I wish that we were seeing this really, really big because I was like wanting to be overwhelmed by it. It and, was a yeah. bit quiet at first, wasn't it? Mm. Bit of a concern I had early on. I was like, it's not going to be overwhelming enough, but it kind of picks up a bit, I guess. Or maybe they turned it up. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good place to start the pod. Um, like, how do you go into a concert movie? Like, what are your expectations? What What's a general good thing and what's a, a bad thing as well? Well, with this one specifically, the expectations were extremely high and I'd literally been messaging Ginny for like three months, like tagging her on every news that came out about this. Um, and I, I assumed that we'd be watching it on, on binge or something like that as opposed to it getting a cinema release because in America it came out on HBO. Mm-hmm. So, and then all of a sudden I saw that it was out and I was like, let's do it. And we did it. And here we are. And here we are. Mm-hmm. All right, it was very high expectations. I love talking heads as mentioned earlier. And I love 
Stop Making Sense, which is their other concert film. So definitely went into it with very high expectations, thinking that this uh, was going to be good. Although I was a little bit nervous that it wouldn't be as good as Stop Making Sense. But yeah. it certainly was. Yeah, I um, I agree. Like when it first started and the volume wasn't like super loud and it was, you know, a David Byrne song as opposed to, I guess, one of the classics off any Talking Heads album. I was a bit like, oh, I don't know. And they were up there and, and moving around and I just wasn't sure, but it definitely kind of gets you there by the end of it for sure. I reckon, okay, hear me out because I also have seen Tenet recently and I had the similar experience with like the volume just like blasting off my ears. I reckon Westgarth Cinema has been showing it and maybe got complaints that it was too noisy <laughs> and they turned down the volume a bit on the I other movies. I forgot to turn it back up. Truly, because it was actually like a bit quiet. I could hear myself eating popcorn. I was a bit nervous, <laughs> but it did go up eventually. I reckon someone said something and they turned it up. Yeah. Um, what was your? Yeah. Ex- what were you thinking, Tom? Uh, you because you hadn't seen Stop Making Sense before. Yeah. So since I have done my homework, I have watched Stop Making Sense in the last few days. In fact, last night. Um, but then that's not to say I, I didn't know the source material well. Like it turns out, I've listened to Stop Making Sense as an album a bunch of times like the live performance because the cd was in the car and then i downloaded it on my phone and stuff like that um stop making sense is unreal like this is you know at the risk of making this a jewel pod that it was so good um well i think it has to be a little bit of a jewel pod because you can't not compare them to one another yeah um and that's why i was like you need to watch this as well mm-hmm. before this and i'm impressed you did to be honest yeah <laughs> like you didn't expect it's been a busy. It. It's been a busy week of, of the podcast. Probably our busiest week ever. Yeah. Now we're in the real world. Yeah, so. grinding it out. Um, but yeah, so making sense is so good. Um, and I'm, I guess, it's interesting because it definitely makes one thing stand out to me that I already noticed watching American Utopia, which was I'm watching David Byrne as like an older dude, and going. It's sort of an interesting thing that this. It's definitely a different package because when Talking Heads play in um, Stop Making Sense, it's in the 80s and I imagine that they're at like peak popularity and stuff like that. Um, Mm. And by extension, cultural significance. But then David Byrne performing now is has that sort of thing where it's like a guy who's uh, performing and has fame off of his prior achievements rather than his current music and stuff like that. So I was sort of interested to see how that would play out in this film. Um, And the other thing that it does is that uh, it affects the type of audience that goes to a show like this, and by extension, the type of uh, commentary and jokes and stuff you might make. And finally, just it's interesting, I found out afterwards that this was a Broadway show. I didn't realise that uh, going into this. Um, That's such a huge component of it as well, because, I mean, of the key differences there were between Stop Making Sense and American Utopia. It, was, it felt so much more polished, which is, I think, just by virtue of the fact that uh, American Utopia is a Broadway show and Stop Making Sense was a concert because Stop Making Sense is just frantic and, mm. and nuts. But that's obviously the vibe that they were going for, whereas American Utopia had choreography and it was very um, yeah, precise and considered the way that they moved around the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. They're like really interesting comparisons because they're both like, really amazing in their own way i guess because like jenny's saying stop making sense was just about this energy that somehow was kind of captured that just kind of doesn't feel like anything you've seen before and um 
every time you just watch them, you can't help but get like sucked in about like how good it feels just to listen to it and how much fun it looks. Mm-hmm. And this this film obviously goes approaches it in a different way, but it it you know it does a good job of actually similar like it captures a similar feeling listening to music like this idea of joy and togetherness that I think is really essential and stop making sense as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's definitely a. In American Utopia, it's a thematic focus of both the songs and the the flow of the songs. But it seems like a, a huge focus to be talking about connectedness. And he's singing songs about how you fit into society and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but ultimately, watching both of them, I'm just taken by how... Like, it makes you want to play in a band. Like, whether you can or can't, it it's the type of stuff. It's sort of, I guess... Uh, you know, ridiculous connection. But when we watch Slane Castle, watching um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers jump around on stage looks super fun. And it's cool seeing such a different package of that, but it still looks as fun and in a different way. Like, I, I couldn't help but think watching American Utopia, how everyone had their, like, dance presenter faces on. You know, everyone's smiling their asses off. <laughs> it's just like, would you be doing that? It's like, yeah, I actually buy it with this. Like, it looks like it's that fun. Um and yeah, jumping around is going to make you smile regardless, right? You touched on this earlier as well in the introduction, how you said all the musicians were cordless and they had all their instruments hooked up to them, which was a real, another key difference between Stop Making Sense where they come out on those big like floats. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a really interesting um, difference because Stop Making Sense very much felt like David Byrne and his ensemble, mm-hmm. uh, which was Talking Heads, but in this case, it felt like a much more unified front. Like everyone in the band was very much an equal part of it. And they mm. and he was a part of the choreography, not like the front man. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And even like, because I think there's that big part about Stop Making Sense where he like, you know, he has a suit and just every... <laughs> a cultural reset. Yeah, but every every <laughs> everything that he's doing in that is so like, you know, attention grabbing and like unreal, like... So I read this article today because I was doing my homework about nice. Stop Making Sense and the drummer was talking about... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was talking about um, Stop Making Sense and filming it and why they were all dressed the way they were. And apparently David Byrne, ahead of the filming, was like, everyone wear really neutral colours. I want everyone to be the same. And then he just rocks up in this giant white suit. <laughs> Stands out like a sore thumb. So, yeah, it is, like, very purposeful that way. Yeah, and... I think that it's there's so many there's so much to talk about and like <laughs> what makes it really good to talk about is that you have two distinct comparison points like and it gives you kind of the difference between I I mean David Byrne then versus David Byrne now um and this exactly what you're saying before like this is a way more inclusive kind of show and it's about the whole thing is about togetherness whereas like I know I compared them about having that fun factor shared between them but um Stop making sense is 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 definitely more kind of about him in a lot of ways, but not entirely. There's definitely like a whole lot of good chemistry going on between everyone else. But you're you're absolutely right in that he's like a part of the chemistry in this one, and it just seems like a, a kind of group thing. And I mm. think that goes down to even the songs as well. Like mm. all the American Utopia songs appear to be kind of like structured in a way that that they feel more like communal songs. Like he's trying to write songs for a, like large groups of people. Um, and, and the thing is, he's kind of writing about similar things that I think he's always written about. Like, he's always kind of seemed like an alien who's come down to Earth and trying to make sense of human beings. But it's definitely different. It's more like a shared experience sort of thing now. Yeah. Versus him being like, 
this kind of weird, you know, New York well, and guy. And his little like um, stand-up tidbits throughout the songs definitely made it feel more relatable as well because he was talking about your shared experience as a human as opposed to just like, I'm David Byrne and I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Mm. And, and just like to give him a compliment on his songwriting, like it, it's such a, a unique thing the way that he writes these, these things. And it's it just like, it's, it's just strange how relatable it is, all this alien talk. Like just the way he writes songs is so weird and, you know, like a robot or like an alien trying to make sense of things. But there's something about that approach that it, it just really resonates. I don't know with you guys, but with me, like some, he's got some songs that I think are really powerful, even though they've got that lens. Mm. Um, it, it's definitely an interesting uh, element to this show because I knew the Talking Heads songs well. I didn't. I don't know his stuff well. Um, but so much of it is sort of so literal. And I guess this is approaching, you know, uh, takes and stuff like that. But I, I was listening to some of these songs, going like, "Oh, I'm really enjoying this as like a strange thing." But I also was uh, left wondering, like, are these songs that I would listen to just on my radio, like, you know, on my playlist and stuff like that? And I suppose in a way that's sort of praising the show in the way that, like, it's the perfect show to showcase these things and they actually seem thematically linked and they seem appropriate to hear him talking about. Like, I, I got some of the lyrics up just for this, but just like the one there's like, loved ones, loved ones visit the building, take the highway park and come up and see me. Like, it's so blunt and sort of jarring. Um, and that's, but that's a, that's a talking head song. Like, that's, that's the thing, like, compared like that, which is like peak alienated David Byrne versus kind of the, you know, even something like Everybody's Coming to My House, which is like a recent song. Mm-hmm. And he talks about it being this, ang- you know, an anx- in, in, the, in the show he talks about how it sounds like an anxious um narrator or whatever but it it just it does feel really different still i think from those early ones like there's something that feels more communal about it that's funny because i thought that i genuinely listened to that song thinking that i'd heard it before on stop making sense like i thought that um everybody's coming to my house seemed like one of the most talking head songs out of his new stuff like it's i think it is the most out of all of them for sure this ties into an interesting thought that i had about the similarities between American Utopia and Stop Making Sense because they are definite similarities that they seem deliberate. What did you make of that? Like, for example, all of the ensemble wearing suits, which we touched on earlier, ties into sort of him wearing that big baggy suit. Like, Do you think that was a conscious choice or do you think that was just like his brand? He loves grey. That, that's my first reaction to that. Like, I do think it is a bit of a brand thing. Um, sorry to steal this question immediately, Nick. But the second thing is <laughs> I think that um, – I think Grey really conveys his message and because I didn't think about, like, the film starts non-political and then it gets more and more political as it goes, right? So political. But I think that the Grey thing does a, like, I don't know, it's got to be deliberate, basically, but every skin tone looks really good against Grey and especially the contrast and similarities in pigment between the performers of a variety of skin tones looks really good and unified in grey. So I think that that's a key reason of why he loves the grey there. That is a good point. Like maybe it's a sort of idea of the people kind of standing out over the clothes or whatever. Like, because mm. there's definitely a big thing where you do, you do see everyone's face in this and, you know, it's not accidental. And, and this, I guess, goes to like Spike Lee's direction as well, like as well as the choreography in that 
there's definitely a lot of effort to make everybody in the band kind of have have a moment of of sorts or like really to see their face and yeah i don't know maybe it comes from that the, the suits i guess versus well it's interesting cuz like i think that with stop making sense there was more of an attempt from him um cuz like i read about it in his book how music works which is a good read if anyone wants to read that I will. Um, I'll borrow that thing. <laughs> and he talks about um, he was kind of inspired by like Japanese theater. And it's this whole kind of like making the sausage idea where like, you know, everything is very plain and you show people. And that's like where the whole start making sense. The band comes together progressively sort of thing comes from and that you're showing the people where the music comes from, which is definitely still a theme, theme in this one as well. But it does seem to be a bit differently aimed. Like it's not demystifying music as such as it's aimed at really emphasizing the human element i think Mm -hmm. yeah um i think in it's a sort of uh presentation irony or something that by making everyone look the same everyone looks really different Mm. um yeah and so i really appreciate that i think it's really cool plus well yeah let's get to the big talking point of the um the movie surely they could have designed something that uh doesn't show the sweat as much Any, that cross <laughs> anyone else's mind you were looking at that so i was looking at their tootsies <laughs> that well, yeah true and then there was one someone who had like bandages on their feet and stuff like that um yeah i don't know too hard it's just like i'm impressed uh, but like i i could uh process it a bit better after watching stop making sense because in stop making sense everyone's extremely sweaty as well and like you know it's beautiful um and mm. good but it still caught my eye at the end of this film i couldn't especially when i first noticed it because i noticed it a big sweat mark on one of them and i was like is that sweat or am i just like you know reading into this and no when they bow at the end of the film it's definitely sweat, it's all sweat. <laughs> yeah I, I i i reckon i read something on the internet and someone was like comparing david burns sweat and stop making sense of this one and he's like <laughs> This is character development because he's the sweatiest guy and stop making sense. And then in American Utopia, he's like the least sweaty. Yeah. Man, you'd get, no, and knowing this was a Broadway show as well, it's like just crazy that they put these reps in. Like this was their, their life for at least a few months just playing this show. How wild is that? Well, it started as a tour, right? And then became a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I wonder what the differences are. Like, I'm sure they fine-tuned a lot of stuff. Mm. And things like, you know, in I Should Watch TV where he does the kind of look through the, the curtain sort oh, of thing and all that. I was going to mention that. I imagine it might have been the original show, but it seems very Broadway, I guess. I was going to say that's very um, Spike Lee. Because yeah, that was such a little Easter egg that you saw as a viewer of the movie yeah. versus a viewer of the Broadway show. Exactly. That would not have uh, come across on... In person as much. Um, no. Similarly, the other thing that the film allows you to do is see some of the um, the vertical stuff because there's a lot of vertical stuff going on. Yeah, and with the lights. There yeah, was the that Billie song Jean where they looked like they were on... Um... <laughs> the Billie Jean lights. <laughs> there was that, that song where they looked like they were on a chessboard. Is that what the Billie Jean yeah. lights are? <laughs> I've just yeah. outed myself as yeah. ignorant. I- and they were Have you like seen the Billie Jean video? <laughs> no. Nope. Right, well, that's homework. Really? It after. Wow. I've, um, I've already seen... Um, the Michael Jackson movie. I don't know if I can get on board that train anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then similarly, but then it, it, it's all put into context a little bit for me having seen Stop Making Sense because some they do some of the same things, not to the same extent, but like um, the 
uh, big shadows on the wall and stuff like that. I remember that as a clear image from mm. this where they're projecting onto them. And then they obviously did that in to- Stop Making Sense where the dude's running around with the light. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's those are some things that uh, are sort of accentuated by camera and maybe not improved, but at least pronounced more strongly. Mm. I was also impressed with the cinematography of this. Um, yes. And it, it's very engaging because it's like you're watching a concert and especially after watching Slane Castle, which like has the worst cinematography ever. It's just like so uninspired. <laughs> so we did an episode earlier because... We, I mean, we talked, it was like a very, I haven't edited this one yet, but it's a very long podcast because it, what's to say? Well, it's us watching Red Hot Chili Peppers live at Slane Castle, which was like when we, I was 16 and Tom was 14 or whatever. It was like our favorite thing ever. You know what I mean? So it was like revisiting this childhood thing. Um, and it was, it was a lot of like appreciating it from a new lens, but also a lot of like acknowledging it just wasn't as good. Well, it's the not even the, 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 <laughs> the band, though. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, the presentation. They definitely didn't care as much about how they looked as like it was. Well, actually, it seemed like a relic to like the fact that four piece bands used to exist. You know, mm. that's just yeah. not a thing anymore. You don't yeah. get because that's such a nineties and thousand thing, as we addressed in that episode. But basically, like, Spoilers, it's really I don't want to hear. It, it's really cool going back in time, watching t- stop making sense, and knowing that there was this crazy art out there. Like, and yeah, like, I'm just it's, so it's impressed. Yeah, they they nailed the concert film twice, basically. Like, it's so Mm. cool that he can have two definitive, you know what I mean? Like, two really good concert movies that are different and really good. Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot of credit... (laughs) You've also got to appreciate he's got two, like, acclaimed film directors directing each of them, you Mm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who was the other guy? Jonathan. Jonathan Demme. So, probably most famous from Silence of the Lambs. Mm. So, like... Bonafide director, as is Spike Lee, obviously. And I think, you look, does Spike Lee and David Byrne is a cool crossover? Like, I can definitely get around yeah, that. Yeah, I'm loving the, um, that was a comment I wanted to make. I'm loving the Spike Lee comeback tour. It's great to see him <laughs> back in the public eye. Like, obviously, he's kept doing stuff, but he seems to be on a roll at the moment with um, the Netflix movies and um, ever since Black Klansman. Yeah. Hi. So, before our brief intermission, we were talking about the return of Spike Lee, but I also think that we should. Acknowledge our other guests who we didn't introduce before, but that's Lenny. Lenny's here with us tonight. So if you hear any click clacking in the background, that's that's just Leonard. That's him being needy. And Do you want to explain what what or who Leonard is to the listeners? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's his favorite movie? Lenny's favorite movie, yeah, probably what my favorite movie is. So Parent Trap, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> Lenny loves what I love. No, Lenny's the Greyhound. Um, he's my fairy companion and very much a COVID adoption. And he's been giving giving us the entertainment since March. And some tips. And uh, some little click clacks every now and then. Click clacks. Click clacks. Yes. Thank you for that lovely introduction to Lenny. Lenny is a valued member of the uh, Ego Problem Extended Cinematic Universe. He's now canon. So congratulations, <laughs> Lenny. Oh, my goodness. Well done, Lenny. He's asleep. Nice. He's going to take a victory nap. So we begin the show... With David Byrne running around with a model of a brain, pointing to different parts and telling us what happens at each part of the brain with here from American Utopia. Um, you know what I thought when he gave his little monologue about how we've got all these neurons and they like melt away or whatever his stance was. I was just like, 
Stance. Is this... <laughs> well, okay. This Isn't kind it of science? Prefaces, this prefaces what I have to say. Well, he was like, babies have all these neurons and then as adults we lose them. And I was like, okay, hold on a second. Who's measuring the babies? <laughs> like, who's getting these little child subjects and measuring their brains? Riddle yeah, me this, them. David. I reckon he's full of it. I reckon he read it somewhere. <laughs> well, Undisclosed source. Well, and I guess... He, it, it, it's definitely an interesting part of the show that he talks about these like neuron pathways. So basically, for the listeners, he says that you start with like I don't know fifteen gajillion, and then by the time you're an adult, you have like a hundred thousand or something. Um, and then it's basically just suggesting that you become more refined in the person that you are rather than the person that you could be. Um, I think it's a very valuable point, um, but I guess. The other element is that you'd hope that you're shaving away stuff that's pretty useless and not just useless, but surely babies have some pretty offensive thoughts in there that they haven't culled yet, basically. <laughs> what an interesting way of looking at it. The politically incorrect babies. <laughs> yeah. that Well, that has to be what it means because, like, people, some people refine, you know, like a piece of wood. Some people shave themselves down to something that's good and then some people shave themselves down to something that's bad. So babies have a lot of evil potential in them, I suppose. Yeah, but they also have a lot of good potential in them, don't they? How contrarian of you. You'd hope that in the ideal person, you shave away all the bad... Like, so if you had to rank all of the good synapses or neurons that are in a brain, <laughs> surely you could create the perfect person with 100,000... Like, surely you could rank them so that there's one that everyone should have, two that... Yeah, I mean, there's an 101st problematic to, to be suggesting that there's a certain way the brain should be that that we're going to work out, and then I don't know. That's actually <laughs> the brain that David Burns carrying around at the beginning of the show. It's a perfect That's what, brain. It's the old Timo brain. You may not it's ready what, to go. You may not like what it looks like, but this is the perfect brain. This is perfection. And he's just yeah. like pointing at it here. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I wasn't that familiar with the song, and I was, uh, you know, since like watching the show and listening to it i, I do like it quite a bit uh, it's interesting like it, it it works as an intro but it also does kind of feel like almost like an outro sort of song it's a I bit i think you like, say um, that because on the album it's the last song on the album right did you well, say that ooh. or did you not know that i might i mean Confirm i didn't know it directly deny. but maybe it was <laughs> maybe it was like back of my brain knowledge because yeah i love it as an opener because it sounds like it sounds a lot like lion king to me as i said to nick because it's like it does mm. Well, isn't it funny, like, that this? so you've got Elton John working on the Lion King soundtrack in the 90s, right? And defining the sound of African music for a bunch of kids who don't live in yeah, Africa. Yeah, that's actually and true. And who don't know what African music sounds like I now because they think it sounds like Elton case. John. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Is that true? What do you mean? Elton John worked on the Lion King yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, and he sings Can You Feel the Love He wrote it, it, yeah. What? He wrote all the tracks. Um, oh, I suppose my goodness. That, yeah. that comes to a part of what I love about Talking Heads, especially uh, not just watching this, but um, uh, so making sense, is that he is interested and he is bringing these interesting beats and rhythms and stuff. And it's like, I know that I like the sound of bongos and stuff like that, but I would never go like, hey, here's the instrument I don't know really how to play, slap it into my music here. Um, yeah, well, I think what they were doing was adopting, a, like they were really... In- inspired by like Fela Kuti, um, and they brought like this is the thing like at the time when Talking Heads did that it was like revolutionary you know like bringing in all these sounds that they never heard before nowadays it's the sort of thing that you, you you wouldn't really I guess get away with 
um, as a group of like four white white people from New York. Vampire you know. Weekend light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing, and this is off topic, but it's like how much does there's a lot of Talking Head songs, particularly like on the first two albums, I think that have like. Sound very Vampire Weekend. No, truly. When we went and saw Vampire Weekend, and this actually is a little fun fact, this is when I met Will. The first thing I said to him when we were watching the live show of Vampire Weekend was, this looks a lot like Stop Making Sense. The way that the stage was set up was really yeah, inspired. And Ginny texted me as well. I remember it. Yeah. I was very, I was very pleased by the whole thing because as we all know, I love Ezra. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so you're... So that w- I did need to hear that rule, and you do like Vampire Weekend, even though we're ragging. Ginny on them. loves Vampire. They were Weekend. my top. They were my top we artists this Vampire year in Spotify Wrapped. This, this, we saw them this, uh, not this morning, this year. Oh, yeah, we did. Some of the last gigs we saw. Man, that's it. Makes sense. Um, it does. Knowing I you am personally, white. it makes sense. No, I mean, um, <laughs> it's very on brand. <laughs> yeah, this Talking Heads comparison does sort of, you know, make sense. Um, just for curiosity, what is your favorite um, Vampire Weekend one project or album, and two song? Uh, album, Modern Vampires of the City. Correct the song, answer. Step. Interesting, yeah. All right. I, I think we had the same. We're both Modern Vampires and Hannah Hunt. Is that right? Hannah oh, Hunt yeah, well, is Hannah Hunt. my... Hannah Hunt's my top... My third... or Yeah, I think it's my third top song of all time. Love Hannah Hunt. Of all time? What's number one? Sorry, this is such a tangent. Number one, Stand Yourself <laughs> Clean. I did this <laughs> this year. Um, you won't... What's it? And you also had this must be the place in your top ten as well. As yeah, so this that, must so. this must be the place was four. I think, love it, huge fan. Only got introduced to it like just recently. In fact, oh, I don't dude. know if you would agree with this, Nick, but I personally got introduced to it because Father John Misty references it in in twenty years or so when he says the piano players playing this must be the place. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if we're going to actually get through the the set by going through chronology here because there's so many good tangents to, to just go down. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, okay. Well, we're going so I'm going to talk about my to I'm going to talk about my talking heads experience because this is just all related. So I remember when that came out and that was on Pure Comedy and this is like 2018. <gasps> Our talking and this heads is, experience yeah, is linked. Yeah. So like, yeah. Well, Ginny and mine is like so like the first time I saw start making sense was was with Ginny. Yeah. Ginny also bought me. Um, best of Talking Heads on CD, which I would listen to, um, and basically, like in 2018, when I got into them, it was like that was a big that was a big era of Talking Heads. I, Stop making sense is very sentimental to me because we watched that quite early when I moved to Melbourne. I feel like it really dog marks my my time in Melbourne, a real mm-hmm. entry path to me becoming, you know, the indie Northside bitch that I am. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh. that was me on track to adopting a greyhound. You had oh, to upscale so or. Downscale or side scale, or whatever, coming from Queensland, you had to change the image. <laughs> from the so Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, a vacuum, ready to be. Yeah, there you go. Culture <laughs> hit me. That's basically. And yet you it. you fell into Ezra and Vampire Weekend. So no, they they came with me from GC. So it's always been yeah. brewing under the surface. Nice, I like it. Yeah. So I I mean I know it's objectively true that I know that Ezra is like a big Talking Heads fan. Mm. He was on a podcast about Talking Heads that I listened to recently. So like I that's that's a, a obvious and direct and fair comparison to make, I would say. Um and it just makes you wonder though, like why people don't do that more. Like why don't people have these big bands? They're just like so much better. Like mm. it works so well. The energy. You don't, you don't think we're trending there though? Like I feel like live performers whip out a bunch of instrumentalists, um, whether they use them to their full potential. Inverted, you know that's uh, subjective. But like, um, people do bring out the big bands whenever they're touring these days. Don't you agree with that? I think it's a different type of instrumentation, though. Like, 
and like the feel like it's definitely this kind of international kind of different background sort of pe- um, people from different um, backgrounds who bring different kind of um, approaches to it versus having like you know just a bunch of like session musician sort of thing which you get from a lot of live acts I would say and that was a real theme of American Utopia as well like a real focus that all the musicians came from these different spaces and were bringing this flavor to the ensemble <laughs> Mm. You touched yeah. on immigration. Actually, that's something you mentioned earlier. It was very political. That was something I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about because Stop Making Sense was not political. I mean, maybe it was for the time and I just have missed the cues, but like American Utopia was just blatantly political. Yeah. But it is interesting. Like you can't help but watch Stop Making Sense and go, wow, this was like 80, like 85 Three. or something like that. Yeah. And you're like, you know, this band is like quite diverse for the time and it just looks like such a good time on stage and everyone like beyond David Byrne standing out as David Byrne, everyone does feel like they're on the same plane and they're all, you know, communicating with each other on the same level, which is really great. And it's like something you, you, you don't look back on like eighties bands and stuff like that and often get impressed by that, like yes, that, I think, mm. which is a big part of the appeal of Stop Making Sense is that it does feel not outdated in, in, inclusive. in that sort of way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Inclusive. That's the thing. Yeah, and it's interesting, and it's definitely a theme of he, that he, I think, deliberately tries to do. Maybe back then it was more about he was just inspired by different cultures and stuff like mm. that, but nowadays I think he makes a deliberate effort to take all that into account. Thank you. I just got the Tom's having a quick tea break. And, <laughs> coffee and chalky. And chalky. Nice. Where's my coffee and chalky? Honestly. Um. Yeah, I want to talk about this. Well, if you want to... Are you going to talk with your mouth full or are we going <laughs> to... Sorry, give me like two you're more. You're going to let Ginny get a point in while you're chewing. Oh, I remembered what I was going to say now while you're clearing your teeth. Go ahead. <laughs> um, that's something interesting that you touched on about how um, maybe previously in the 80s he felt inspired by different cultures, whereas in American Utopia it actually felt like earnest and inclusive. And I think that's an interesting line to tread because at the end of the day, David Byrne is just like an old white man. And it can feel a little bit tokenistic when other people do that um, to try and, like, you know, be inclusive in quotation marks. But it actually did feel like a really genuine move. Mind you, I'm not a person of colour, so I don't want to comment on that on their behalf. But from my perspective, it felt earnest. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that came across to... Well, firstly, just to give the film praise, like, I think... That's about, he does about as good of an effort as you can do in supporting the um, Black Lives Matter movement and protest by, I think Spike Lee would have helped with the voice to, Mm. you know, make sure it's great as well. But like showing the mums of the um, individuals who were killed in terrible circumstances. Um, So that's a, that's a very nice touch of the film itself. Um, but yeah, in terms of the performance, the other thing I wanted to note was that, first of all, with Stop Making Sense, I think it's such a time capsule because, well, it's so it's so devoid of time. It seems timeless because I, you watch it and everything's so cool and modern. And I guess even because nowadays you can dress 80s and it's ironic and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then you pan around to the audience right at the end of the film and that's when the illusion shattered and everyone looks so <laughs> daggy and aged and dated. And it's like, what the heck is going on here? Um, <laughs> yeah, so by extension, like that sort of comes into my 
thinking when I was talking about that the audience for this concert is a lot different than that it is now. So I do wonder how it plays into how political... Because first of all, you're allowed to get political now in a much more accepted way. Like, you can't imagine he is allowed to talk about... Yeah, he's not allowed to cover Janelle Monet singing um, Hell You Talking About in the 80s. Not that that, you know, existed the same way, maybe. Oh, maybe it did. Sorry, I'm ignorant. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but then... Uh, his audience is ready to hear that now. So I, mm. I But that's I, I mean interesting as well because I think that we talk about him being like an old white guy and like, you know, my experience of when we didn't see David Byrne when he came to Melbourne, but Sad. it was the the case where like if you wanted to buy a ticket, you'd be spending two hundred dollars for a ticket to sit up the very back. Um It's the it's the Rolling Stones thing. Like I do mm. think that um Anthony Kiedis in Scar Tissue or whatever sums it up the best where he's like They're all they, businessmen in. Yeah, they're all businessmen, rich people coming to see your band by the time they're doing the reunion tours and they fold out however many squares of polished wooden floor for Mick Jagger to run around and dance on. Um, yeah. But yeah. So that's why I think that the message actually is really good as well. Like, you know, you talk about it, he couldn't do that in the 80s and it's like maybe, maybe not, but it's like the culture you're talking about, which is okay with, you know, political expression like that in a in a concert is is people younger you know what i mean it's not necessarily people in their 60s 70s and 80s who go to a show and are ready to see something confronting do you know what i mean mm. so i think that there's actually quite a bit of power in the fact that he's up there doing that um because there's going to be plenty of talking heads people who are watching fans so you know they're not all like 20 in their 20s like we are you know what i mean mm. um well that's such an interesting part of the whole phenomenon again i think is that uh People want to be into the thing that's current and new now, and we kind of rag on stuff that's maybe past post prime, which you could argue, you know, David Byrne in theory should be post prime here, even though this is such a really good performance but and in stuff. Practice. Um, but what, like, you're never, you never have more power than when you're in post prime, which is sort of ironic about it, you know, like you're you're reaching yeah, more audiences than ever. <laughs> No, but you've got your original fan base and you're also indoctrinating us. You know what I mean? He he yeah. suddenly has more ears listening to him unless like, you know, a large Yeah, I mean it's different. Like I think that something. you 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 you're this um you're like the peak of your popularity, like, you know, say you're Ariana Grande now and you're just like one of the biggest people in the world. And then you go through this part where you lose your kind of commercial pop culture relevance, I guess, and then you kind of transition into being like a legacy act or whatever. Yeah. Which is kind yeah. of the the which is kind of said as like a, a derogatory way to talk about someone who like who you know isn't in their prime anymore but i think you can also look but saying it to someone like david Byrne, i don't think it's necessarily like an insult or like he just definitely doesn't fall into that cliche like he could i think well that's where we get into admiring him because like he's still pushing been doing boundaries <laughs> well you know what i mean like i'm just saying that this is ultimately a take now that we do all enjoy what he's still doing um but yeah. i guess a, a big take is that listening to these this concert and hearing the songs the best songs still are the talking heads ones is that yeah undoubtedly so we open with here we go to I Know Sometimes a Man is Wrong, which is from David Byrne's solo album. Then we get Don't Worry About the Government from Talking Heads. Um, then we get Lazy by Muzi uh, Kism by Express 2. So that's the album and that's the artist. And then we hear, we hear the, the faint twinings of a, a bass line 
coming through and then you get hit right in the face with this must be the place naive melody which as i've already expressed is my favorite talking head song and so like that's just when it all washes over you and you're just like man this is so good yeah and i i think what's interesting is that i think that's the last song before the full band comes out i think the full band comes out the next song in ezimbra um and i was definitely at this point of the concert still skeptical and especially because that you know you're saying it's one of your it's like that's easily one of my favorite songs ever particularly the stop making sense version of it it just makes me feel euphoric and you know if i was going to cry to a song that came on it would be that definitely um that stop making sense version and so i was there sitting this like anxious thing like oh man they're doing like my favorite song like is it going to be as good um, and I have to say, like, I think I was a bit too stressed the first time to appreciate enough, but I've been, like, flogging the um, soundtrack. Listening to the album. Yeah, I've been listening mm. to it a lot after, and I definitely think it's pretty good. Like, it's not as good as the other version. I would say there's something about that that's next level. Um, but it, it does – it is a, a good rendition, like a – I think it just came too early in the pace. Yeah, and like, that's the thing. Like, it was, like, frantic I with that. Yeah. in Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. I've, like I've always thought that it was – you know, I thought it was the closing song on – like not like literally, but I thought it's the type it of song on, you finish a show with. Yeah, it's um, on, it's the last song on speaking in tongues, so that would make sense. Okay, yeah. So I was surprised, but even "Stop Making Sense" plays it earlier than I was expecting. Um, and it's a bit deeper though. The other thing that's weird about I don't know if you saw this in your you must have seen this in the version, but the film version has the guy strumming guitar, and I don't think it's in the album mix. Is that is that true? Right. There's a I do no, go definitely not. No, no, no. That's in the song. That's in it. Well, it's def- I feel yeah. like it's not mixed as loud because it was extremely jarring watching Stop Making Sense. And oh, this okay. dude just like won't sit still and like it really no, they annoyed would be, me. They'd be different mixes for sure because like, yeah. when they released, they released the movie and they released an album, like an LP, which was significantly shorter than the one we listened to today, which has like all the songs. Mm-hmm. But the album version was like maybe 10 or 12 songs back then. So I think that they mixed them all like 10, 20 years later when the CD I came see. out. Yeah, well, they took that out or turned it down a bunch because it was so loud in the concert and I felt like, oh, man. But okay, but the, let's just, the, I, I do want to admire that Stop Making Sense performance of it. No, I agree. Like, I'm not trying to... In a visual yeah. way. So and this kind of will make me talk about American Utopia as well, but that's when he's singing along with the lamp. And I don't know what it is about that imagery that is just like the greatest thing ever. But because it's just like pure nonsense. And yeah, then also it's know. just like so emblematic of David Byrne. And they've <laughs> like, got books behind him. Like there's yeah. Yeah, giant the projections of books and then cities and then like it doesn't all make sense together, which is classic talking heads. But. What? <laughs> yeah. And it's just the fact that he's singing this love song, which somehow in his all his weirdness comes across as like a super genuine love song, you know. Um, to a lamp. And he's singing it to a lamp. It's just like <laughs> peak David Byrne, so good. Mm. Well, the the thing that I realized watching This Must Be The Place is that um, every song feels like a video clip. Like it's all, there's a concept that they're trying on every single uh, song that they're doing. Um, so it's really visually striking like that. Um, and that's a bit more opposed to American Utopia, which where they definitely do things that are, uh, singular for each song they don't copy the same dance moves or the same sort of like gimmick for each song you know inverted commas um it's a lot more pronounced in stop making sense that each song is different and they're doing a different thing yeah so after this must be the place I, if i'm not mistaken is Zimbra, i think yes which is yeah, the gibberish so song is it yeah the, the data <laughs> the is poetry. yeah um 
And so that's like when the whole band comes out, which to me definitely felt like the moment where it like stepped a up. tipping point. Yeah. As soon as, and that's when everyone came out and it just like got a lot fuller, mm. I think sound wise. Um, and that was when it really kind of hooked me at that point, I think. And it was from then on that it was pretty much every song was like my new favorite song, uh, like my favorite song in the concert was, so far. I should watch TV after that. Uh, Slippery People's next. Um, oh, and yeah. I didn't realize how good, I didn't realize how much I loved Slippery People till it came on in this show, I reckon. Um, yeah. I hadn't realized it was such an iconic Talking Heads song. But, They're all iconic. Yeah, I suppose so. But, but like, that's the thing. Yeah. Every song from that album that is in Stop Making Sense is like awesome. You know, there's something about them. Like, and they, they kind of, like that song, um, and there's like Girlfriend is Better and stuff like that. They, they're on like same sort of terrains, but they're just all like bops, like in the truest sense of the word, I think. <laughs> and that's on that. That's the verdict. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So any other sli- slippery people comments? I think the bass is really cool. Um, I like I just, the little dances they did. Though that could be said for just about everything. Which ones did they show. do for slippery people? They had little like things, didn't they? Or am I mixing that up with something? Well, this is the thing. It's impossible to remember. There's so much information going on that mm. I think beyond ones like E-Zimbra, to, to me, I can remember vividly. That's when the percussionists are walking backwards and forwards, I think, because they came out the first okay. time. Yeah, like arrowheads and then like going back and forth like that. But this is, it's like you need rewatches of this because it's also so much going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think the Slippery People rendition is pretty good. It's it's a bit different, quite different from the other versions, and, but I think it's, it is it's a quiet song though. Like hearing that, like the the call and response sort of thing. Yeah. Like it is it is made for that in a good way. Yeah, um, and that's the thing about that album and that era of Talking Heads is like you do feel like it was made. Like you don't see how it wasn't performed by like a whole bunch of different singers beyond David Byrne, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are backing vocals in I guess those sort of albums, but it's a whole different life when they perform live. It's like the Foo Fighters and their, their stadium music. <laughs> um, so then after Slippery People, we get I Should Watch TV. Um, that was so good. Yeah, definitely a highlight, I would say, of, of the concert. That was just yeah. clever. The way the that light w- came through the little sparkle curtain. What are we, we going to call the backdrop? I think sparkle curtain works for me. I thought it looked like chains. Was it chains? I'm not sure, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> The it could have been review. streamers. We can't even it remember what it looked chains. like. Yeah. We were overwhelmed. Uh, it was quite but, a lot. Yeah, that one's an interesting song because it um, it sort of goes somewhere differently in the chorus than you'd expect. Like in the verse, it's a bit uh, where the kids of America and then in the, um, <laughs> the chorus, it's like doing Well, doing the way that shit. the whole band was grooving out at the same time, it was like the coordination yeah. is just... This was, it was definitely that was one the, of the showdown one, right? Where they're yeah. like, <laughs> it was like a yeah, a song from a from a that musical. That felt I the guess. most Broadway mm. of mm. all of them. Yeah, but even because like narratively, like it's a it's a yeah. narrative song. And that's <laughs> and this is the thing, like if we're talking about his songwriting, right? So that that's from the the Saint Vincent album, which is like twenty twelve or something like that. And we love Saint Vincent in this and household. We, yeah, we do. Yeah, um, but which is funny, like I haven't really listened to that album much at all you know even though like it's a combination of two people is I really it too like. much of a good thing though <laughs> who knows i listened to the song like the actual album recorded version i don't think it translates well this actually so i'm going to go on a detour here because 
<laughs> not that's not what we've been doing the past hour. If you guys will allow me to go at a detour, yeah. <laughs> we'll indulge it. Um, I think the seeds of this show really came from this tour that he did with um, St. Vincent for that album because they the album's like heavily based on like brass instrumentation. So you've like, and you can look these up on YouTube, there's performances and they have like a brass band who's walking around performing choreography with them. Oh. With them. So basically it's taking that concept and applying it to like the rest of the band and getting rid of the brass, I guess. <laughs> but um, And they're also like really good performances. Like, and, and they do talking head songs. Like there's a good one of Road to Nowhere that I remember watching that was really good. So they're also really worth checking out, I think. Were you guys absolutely struck by how many instruments there were? Not as in like the amount of musicians on the stage, just like the sheer volume of instruments that they kept pulling out yeah. of the, of the just, sparkle curtain. They're just like, I didn't like need they're a, making I didn't them up I every time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, My what f- is this? Well, yeah, that guy was the bongo before. thing where yeah. he was hitting with the thing and he was changing the pitch of it and it was like yes. just the craziest thing you ever seen. I was going to say, if you had to take one of the band members and apply them to, I don't know, either your life or your hypothetical band that doesn't exist, <laughs> which life. would you oh, take? like the extra peppy um, blonde percussion girl. Yeah, she was good. She was full of zest. She was very her. Broadway. That was what I <laughs> Yeah, she was. She was the most Broadway. She had like bright red lipstick though, which is just like what you used to do when you had like your dance uh, <laughs> concerts when you were a kid. She's been taking notes. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, I'm taking Bongo Man. He was doing weird things with like the pick, the Bongo pick. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it was like he was playing with a drum machine or a synth and just like fucking with all the knobs and it was Mm -hmm. sounding really cool. It was like, how is it coming out of the instrument deliberately? I guess either that or one of the backup singers because I like that move they do where they do the the surfy thing. That was a really good look. I just, I was Um, a big fan of the chopping movement. I touched on mm -hmm. it before. It was just Mm -hmm. so coordinated. It was and, so good yeah. in his speeches when he goes, um, he's talking about synapse, uh, you know, brain connections and stuff like that. And he's like, sometimes you might go, how do I work this? And it's just yes. Like, yeah. And Sorry. it's funny that David Byrne, right, has this kind of, he has like his own style of dance and like he, he doesn't, it's, um, it's just this weird thing. I mean, it goes with his songwriting as well. It's like dancing that like looks really bizarre, but it's like kind of meticulously planned to look like this weird how do humans move sort of thing. And it goes all the way back to like, um, you know, the once in a lifetime video where he's got these like mm. iconic dance moves that look like someone making it up at the time. But he was, was heavily, um, um, heavily choreographed. It's just super interesting, I think. The funny thing is I watched it and thought he's not very good at the normal dance moves. Like he has this like <laughs> daggy bop to him. But yeah, he can it's do such the a weird dad, stuff really well. Dad energy it though, was like, that I little um, swagger that they all had when they were singing um, Lazy and it was yeah. like on the beat. Yeah. It was a big energy. Yeah, yeah. Lazy is a funny song. Like it's, it, I think that's going to be my next uh, Instagram bio. I'm wicked and I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's it. In yeah. one it's one of the most it's, singable ones, I reckon. I run around just going, I'm lazy with all. Yeah. It's good. The melody's really good on it. And it, but it's like a, it's like kind of a house based sort of song, like, and that's it's funny where the though, hip like swinging comes from. Yeah, but it's like you give David Byrne like a genre that's like cool, and he just makes it like, he like makes it uncool, <laughs> but then like just puts it in a David Byrne world. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. All right, what was, so what then was next? We get uh, everybody's coming to my house, which is preempted by him saying that a children's choir did it upbeat, and he's going to play it like someone who's anxious. Um. And that I was think- really cute. He's like, it sounded really nice the way the choir did it. And I liked their version, but I am who I am. I can, o- mm. I can only do what I can do. <laughs> I think that was the one with the big uh, light projections, isn't it? 
or maybe not. I can't remember. I, I remember the closing shot of them having hands on shoulders and stuff like that. Mm, yes. Um, in, in terms of music, like this is, I think, like you were saying before, the most talking heads out of like his new stuff. Um, and I think it's really good. Like I really enjoy this song, particularly like the live version. Like I'd heard the other version before, but I think it sounds really good. I think you know, it's really the... talking heads about it. It's that that bit mm. at the beginning, whatever instrument. That yeah, is. and but this is the thing. Like he talks about the choir, like how they they sing it in a way that's like optimistic, and it's like if you didn't want to make a version that's anxious, you wouldn't like it. Write it like heavily in a minor key. You know what I mean? Like the chord progression is not happy. <laughs> so it's like you could have made it happy. Yeah, I thought that it. I think it's the thing that makes it feel talking heads to me. I think is the the chorus choir thing, how everyone's singing. Um, at the same time and I think that's it comes back in like uh, Road to Nowhere and stuff like that when you've got everyone pitching into the sound that's kind of like this jovial like group thing um, because yeah. I think I think Talking Heads music is a bit like normal optimistic music but with a bit of like mysteriousness mixed in do you know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah I, I think that really comes across particularly in Stop Making Sense like the solo breaks are just like whack sounds, you know, mm. and it just takes. What about it to the this synth like man? Place. The yeah, synth they'll just do like a close the, up like, of his face. He's like, yeah, he, he seems like a dude who. Oh, you mean sorry? The synth man in American Utopia is just as notable as the one from Stop Making Sense. The one in Stop Making Sense looks like a bloke who is just like, yeah, I play a bit of keyboard, and they're like, okay, play. Whereas the um the keyboardist in American Utopia looks like the literal opposite. He looks like a piano <laughs> teacher. Who's like yeah. really grumpy and he's got his glasses I, on. Yeah. On this note, I liked how there was a lot of people who did look like dads and stuff like that. Like the the guy on the kick drum definitely looked like someone's parent. Mm. Well, you've got to lean into it, right? Like it, what's, what's a... Actually, did you know that David Byrne's 68? Oh, he's a very limber man for a 68-year-old. He was he like looks, running around. Yeah. He... Um, is amazing. He did looks he about... seem more little to you in American Utopia as well? Like he looked like a little petite man compared to Stop Making Sense. So he looked like a I don't know a, a regular think, tall think, human. But in Stop Making Sense, he's like so skinny, like <laughs> ridiculously <laughs> right. thin. But is that just it accentuated makes... by the yeah, suit? Maybe. I'm amazed at how trendy he looks in Stop Making Sense. Like yeah. he's got this like super modern bowl cut sort of short shave side thing, and like he's flinging his hair around like. If I didn't know, I'd think that he genuinely was trying to be cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what's funny is like, I remember listening to Talking Heads with Amy and she was into Take Me to the River. And then like I showed her the video of them performing Take Me to the River. Mm. And she looks and he's doing these like hip swing, like robot moves, <laughs> like a dag. Yes. And she's like, I thought this song was sexy. What is this? <laughs> like so Al funny. Green's like, excuse yeah. you. Because <laughs> he's got the wide uh. hips as well there, right? Yeah, like it's just like hilarious, like the way it sounds in music versus the person who's like performing it. <laughs> I can't alien. believe how, how many iconic like sort of moments and things there are from Stop Making Sense. I know yeah. we're jumping back and forth now, but like the fact that, because like the, the image that I knew was the life in wartime thing. And mm-hmm. when I started the concert and there's like, they don't have the black curtain down yet. I'm like, this doesn't look like the concert that I sort of remembered. And then obviously once everything fills up and then... Because the, the curtain, I think, come, does come down for Stop Making Sense or maybe... Oh, sorry, not Stop Making Sense, um, Life in Wartime or maybe the song before or something. And then they start jogging and that's just so cool. 
And then I'm like, I thought he wore a big suit in this thing. And it's like, no, that's not going to come out till the third quarter of the, yeah. the music video when the lights go out. And The final act. Yeah. And then he whips out. I said, Unless Nick you're in the Tom Tom Club part. He's like, <laughs> you guys do your thing. I'm going to put on a big ass suit. Uh, the biggest thing Literally was though. The- Sorry, the the drummer did not look like a cool guy drummer. Like, I feel like the bassist looks. He looks like cheap. a he looks like a gym teacher or something. Like, he's got that sort of vibe. Yeah, he looks like an average Joe, whereas everyone else has their cool kind of rock music look. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I was shocked by that, and then I was googling because people in the comments on the YouTube upload of Stop Making Sense were like, they don't like it, Man, is that right? No, they do. They're just like, man, oh. cocaine was a crazy drug. And I'm like, right. is this real? Like, is there a drug thing in Talking Heads? But then apparently not, just that the drummer had a bit of a wild life after Talking Heads or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, I think um, it's interesting, like, I'm part of, like, a few, uh, part of, like, a Talking Heads Facebook group where I just they post memes and stuff like that. Um, and they're like all, a great like, place to be. It's good, but the, this is the thing. My qualm with it is they all... They all don't like the whole James Brown thing. Like, they find what? it annoying. Exactly. Like, I don't want to live in a world where that's not the best thing ever. Yeah, but those groups just like, ugh. There's like, you know, a thought leader and everyone jumps on the bandwagon. Yeah. I'm, yeah. In, I'm in a similar group for other artists. Yeah. I've had to leave quite a few because people just get weird and they just kind of ruin the artist for you by just like overdoing it. The Kanye one. Yeah. That one was Oh, cooked. Kanye ones are just like, no, group you, you know, you. Well, especially because so Kanye's so like questionable, it's just like holding on by a thread. Yeah, the exactly. Kanye fandom, and then yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, like, why do we just call a spade a spade and just be like, "This is shit behavior"? <laughs> like, you don't have to like, you know. Mm. If people only listen to what he was really saying, it's just like just, just <laughs> stop it, just let it go. A funny one of that is, uh, Amy was showing me. There's someone, someone on TikTok. You know, that's another can of worms, but um, was posted a thing about Harry Styles album and they were making fun of she in fine line they're like oh I always skip she and then she got like roasted in the comments and she got like shadow banned because everyone was like downvoting her and stuff like that and it's like man this girl has one opinion which is in my opinion fairly valid to not like she on that (laughs) album and then she's just like deleted because fans can't have it that there's a bad song in an album or like a less good song yeah it's all takes like and it's just annoying to be in like communities where there's like they all think the same way. Like, well, that's me for stop making sense. If someone's like, yeah, "There's a bad song," exactly. I'm like, "You lie." Well, I just feel like it'd be stressful <laughs> to be like a Beyonce stan or something like that. It's just like a high pressure gig, you know. <laughs> is it or is she just that good? You never know. Actually, that's the next concert film we should watch: the Beyonce one at Coachella. Yeah. It's yes, I haven't seen it. It's actually no, so no. good. Okay, okay I do. Up. If we're gonna jump all the way back. I did want to talk about the guy playing piano in American Utopia in that I think that he's doing so much heavy lifting in his performance because if you think about it, right, you've got like 12 percussionists on stage, a bass player, a couple of guitarists or whatever, and it's like, who is doing all these lines? You know what I mean? And this bloke, because there's no horns. I said there weren't drugs in in this concert, Nick. (laughs) So. The joke's gone over his head. I'm deep in analysis here. That's Anyway. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that man on the keyboard (laughs) was working really hard is what I'm – the. 
like he had to play all the horn parts and I feel like he was jumping between synth sounds like every 10 seconds in, in American Utopia. Mm-hmm. And then like when they introduce him in the lineup, he plays like three chords, like the simplest thing ever, <laughs> as opposed to like shredding like he has the whole time. Very funny. Mm. Um, just another thing about, <laughs> sorry, I'm breaking my own rules by jumping back and forth, but um, stop making sense. Is this a correct take? Does the drummer lose timing every now and then just a little bit? Do his fills like change the beat a little bit or is that a scorching yes, take? Like, no, I yeah. feel like that's correct. But he's also listening to a, a track, like a beat track, mm. but I he admits he, that like he speeds up. He like rushes mm. a bit, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, he does a fill and goes, and then he I comes mean, back. I mean, talking drums are interesting because he plays like, you know, very simple drum beats. And I guess that mm. creates space for all the percussionists to play. But it's very, like, it, it works really, really well. Like, I, I don't think you can take away from how, how essential that kind of just straight beat is to, like, the talking head sound, for example. Mm-hmm. I guess it maybe makes all the moving parts work amongst one another. I think this segues well into Once in a Lifetime, where I... It's all segues. You know, <laughs> just euphoric. I may I get myself voted off the pod here, but <gasps> Once in a Excuse Lifetime... Obviously a great song, but I thought it's too slow in this performance. I think it's slower than Stop Making Sense. Do you know what it is? And I've thought about this. I reckon the fact is that there's no hat action going on for the first half of the song. It's just like a kick drum and a snare, which gives it this kind of like more open feel as opposed to like driving it along like the other versions. Okay. So you think the BPM's the same? Because I thought I checked and it did seem a bit slower. It might be a little bit slower, but I think that that's more of an arrangement thing. Because I didn't like it slower because I think you sort of realize the song is a bit like very spacious. I'm just so shocked that Once in a Lifetime is the famous Talking Heads song because like I I love the verse, but the the chorus um, can sometimes not hit as hard as I'd want from a song that's that's a big take. He was like absolutely euphoric in that. He was like okay. belting his little heart out, and the whole band was going nuts. So, mm-hmm. um, I knew it's I knew it would silky. be a controversial take, but it's just you can't like, say that you get to the part where the guitar goes. He was and not like, like lose him. Yeah, exactly. Like that was, was one of my like favorite moments. Like and he opens his heaven. chest up to God. Yeah, <laughs> so good. I just love the verse so much that the chorus can feel a little slow sometimes for me because mm. I love you know. I just like love how he's saying all that shit and he's just like, you may ask yourself and all that stuff. And then it's just, not just, like, I do, I want to acknowledge that it's not like <laughs> the hottest of takes. But I guess it's my argument for why I think This Must Be The Place is the best song because that song has a really good groove and then um, the chorus, like, but, yeah, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I think arguably so I, their best live rendition of, of all their songs or of Talking Head songs is Bernie Down the House. That just slaps yeah, that's live. Yeah, that's unsa- right. insane. But that's we'll insane. We'll get to that in a second. Well, or do you have opinions on this? Well, I mean, Tom's making his way very, very, very slowly through very the rest slowly. of songs. So. <laughs> okay, we've got, we've got glass, concrete and stone, which admittedly, Nick, what are some words they say in that song? Glass, concrete, and stone. It would be. It's like a finger-picked one, sort of like mid-tempo, like a David Byrne. Oh uh, yeah, it's pretty wack. It's got a, 
like a, a I mean like a shift. You I mean don't mean bad. I mean it's a lot different from the songs that preceded it, right? Uh, yeah, and this is the thing. Like, I th- I'm not t- really familiar with David Byrne's solo stuff, but like, I think that they make a pretty strong case for like all the ones they do in that. Like, I think that this performance, maybe it's not as high energy as like the other ones, but I think it's like a pretty nice um, song and version of the song in this. Cool. I liked it. I'd, I'd agree with this statement. I don't know. I'm going to come clean. Guys. This is my hot take. I actually kind of dosed in and out during the film showing, but that was, that's not a reflection of Talking Heads or David Byrne or American Utopia. That's a reflection of one girl going the comfy back to chairs. the office. No, <laughs> I, I just like literally that's the week I started going back to the office and the commute really drains you. So yep, I was a little enough. bit sleepy. But every moment you're awake, you have a hot takes for, so that's all that matters. Correct. Mm. So there, there may be some songs that I just simply don't <laughs> remember. <laughs> also, a concert, like concert movies all blend together. Like I don't know if I knew, if I could t- rattle off the names from Stop Making Sense of the actual songs. And I've watched that so many times. Yeah. That's take territory, is it? Mm. Hot take is territory? that an opinion, Nick? It's not. It's Ginny. It's sleepy territory. <laughs> it's just, that's just my brand, <laughs> being sleepy. I need to make a sleepy territory song. Mm. All about the sleepy train. It's been a long day and there's nobody out. So just close your eyes. Yeah, um, and you've got Lenny backing you up, doing the, the thing that you do best as well. Sleepy Literally time. fast asleep. Um, then we get Toe Jam. Nick, what happens in Toe Jam? Um, it's a kind of like another upbeat one with like horn-based um, kind of, I guess, um, uh, more worldly sort of feel, I guess, compared to the other ones. It's funny, like the original, I, like I had not heard this song before. I think it's the one that David Byrne features on. And the other feature on the original version is Dizzy Rascal. So actually look it up. It's a bit, <laughs> what? It's a bit interesting. This is probably one of my least favorites on the performance, to be honest. Like I, I don't think it slaps that hard, is my take. Uh, uh, do you have any, were you awake for oh, this no. song? I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. No, I was just going to say, you know, there has to be some filler. Can't all be. Yeah, 100%. but that's, I think that's the sad part about a concert film. That is almost, yeah, I'm back in this. Like, but, there's always a part in the concert film, and I'm not sure if it was this one for me, but looking forward, maybe it was this part where I'm sort of like, I feel really guilty, but every time I watch a concert film, I eventually, and a concert live even, this is terrible, but I always reach a point where I start thinking about when it's going to end. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it's so true. It's uh, like a long time to hold attention. Yeah. I, yeah. Stop making sense gets... Sorry, there's a moth attacking Ginny. Um, <laughs> Stop making sense gets very close to not having any of that, I would, I would argue, though. But I, I guess some of them, like, I've, have definitely grown on me versus the first the Stop watch. making sense song that gets me when I'm like, okay, when's this rapping is the... Uh, Swamp. Yeah. Swamp. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with that. Oh, I was, I was about to put you guys on the spot and then admit that. But yeah, Swamp is the one that I don't love as much as could, the others. Could probs go? That could probably... You know, exit the list. That's why with the yeah. shadows on the face and stuff, I think. Mm. And anyway. yeah, I just don't think that like for like how upbeat it gets, it just really brings it back down. Mm. I would agree mm. with that. Well, then it's just like straight up. They're building for the rest yeah. of the concert. It feels and like, and it's like lift off. Yeah. Um, All right. What do we got? Then we go into 
a favorite here on the ego ego problem side of things. Born under punches, the heat goes on. This song yeah. is unreal. I love it. Um, it's you know what's uh, yeah. So this like in the in the movie is when they introduce all the band members, which is just like a sick moment. Mm. Um, and it's funny like I, I on like studio albums because this isn't in stop making sense. It's on like their other live album. The name of this band is Talking Heads, but I've never like really love this song and then something about seeing it in this position like performed like last week makes me really love it and it you know it's closely related to um once in a lifetime with the delivery definitely this whole like preaching yelling sort of thing i don't know this song is hilarious like i I, I love it yeah um earlier on in the concert i was watching going like Ego, ego buff in here, but like, I was like, oh, I feel like I have a little bit of Talking Heads influence without realizing in the the stuff I write. But this is the one where I was like, man, I want to write this song. Like, I just yeah. love that he's walking around the stage going, take a look at these hands. Yeah, it's so funny. The hands of and, a government man. Yeah, so good. You just wish you wrote that. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it means so much in so few words. Hmm. All right. Do you want to step away from the mic and yell, take a look at these hands? Take a look at these hands. That was still pretty loud. Um, but yeah, take a look at these hands. When he goes full Lady Macbeth on the audience, it's it's brilliant. I loved it. What a beautiful euphemism. Yeah. Cool <laughs> song. Um, then we go into I Dance Like This. Def- and this is, we're talking about, this is the song that to me works 100% in this performance and then outside of this performance I don't think I would listen to this song like mm. it, it, it it's it works when you listen to it and you imagine them doing the dances like they did on stage but I think otherwise it's not it's a bit of a weird song mm. yeah um, this was maybe one that like I didn't love as much but I think hearing it back I liked it a bit more um, we're definitely in the part of the film where I was snoozing <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm like, hmm, yes, I know all of these songs. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it it seemed a little corny. Like when you go for such production on songs, there's a chance you flame out a little bit. And I feel like that one was too jarring and jolty for me. Mm-hmm. But sorry, David. Um, Bullet was next. Can you remember anything that happens in Bullet, Nick? Bullet's more like a like the song or the on stage. Either you know, and I just want to say for anyone who's judging us or members for not remembering everything, it's kind of hard. You watch a concert movie once to remember everything that happens on stage. So I'm just going to go ahead and defend Tom for asking me that question. Thank you. I thought I'd done it subtly to like make it sound like I was getting you to talk about it, but no, you're really well, you've just done it like three me. times. So it's like. <laughs> But you're just commenting on the song itself, not on the Yeah, well, no, yeah, I bet it's, yeah, exactly. But I've, like, been, you know, absolutely destroying the, the listening to this, like, the last week, so that's why it's all fresh in my head. Yes. Um, well, I don't, see, this is a classic me problem. I'll put on an album and listen to it a bunch, but I won't look at the songs that are playing. Because, yeah. So I'll know what they do, but I don't know <laughs> what they're named. Yeah, but. I think um, Bullet's, like, a kind of ballady sort of one. Again, probably not. One of my yeah, this is like the stretch where he does like a lot of American Utopia songs. Really, he sneaks um, him in. He sneaks him in. Yes. Um, yeah, this isn't my fave. It's a bit. It doesn't hit as well as much as others. I think. Every day is a miracle comes next, which I think was good because that sa- that name sounds promising. As yeah, it it's. Well, he sings. Every day is a miracle. 
the most Broadway chorus out of all of them, I would say. That's true, actually. Very theatre out of the uh, bunch. Yeah, and I think the problem with this part of the set, right, when we're all kind of like getting a bit foggy, I think is because we're probably at that point more, like the songs maybe aren't as strong, but, you know, the production is still carrying it. Because I don't remember ever being like disappointed Mm. necessarily by like the combination of the two. Yes. I would say. But this is probably the more Broadway part of the show, I guess, when, yeah. You're definitely captured more by the performers and the dance and the, the spectacle rather than the actual music. Mm-hmm. The next song get... I remember, I came alive. Blind. Yeah, this is my favorite song. Really? Of like Talking Heads. Yeah. What happens in it? They just walk around. Well, there were lots of flashing lights. This is the song with the flashing lights. Mm. It was actually quite oh, an yeah. aggressive rendition yeah. of it. <laughs> there were like, really men like dressed angry. in black hoodies, and I was intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just like very noisy. Yeah. This kind of led into the Janelle Monáe, so that kind of makes sense as well. I think this at was least. this was a slapper. This was really good, I think. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. is like, I'm not as familiar with the late era Talking Heads, but like this is a bit of a ripper, I would say. What, so the reason why this song's my favorite is because I was <laughs> I was on a road trip with my mom, so it's like it's a really sentimental song to me. And we were driving um, to Yamba, which was like our annual holiday beach trip, and this song came on and. <laughs> was like on the chorus because it goes bland bland and she was like poking the air with like I i'm on a podcast so i mean she had two <laughs> fingers up <laughs> okay i'm gonna describe this as best as i can she had her two fingers up like viper snakes and was like poking the air on the blind as if she was like poking out people's eyes and it just like Damn. made me hysterical i was like cackling and we laughed and laughed and laughed about it anyway so it's a very like sentimental song to me which is why i love it and it wasn't yeah, in Stop Making Sense. So I was like, "Whoa, this is great. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a really good one. And it, it's a very good performance, like high energy. It was and high I remember energy. you messaging me after and just being like, it just builds and builds and builds. Like it starts high energy, but it gets like more high energy for, somehow. That's definitely where like the stage value and production came into it as well. So we go from, do we have any more blind comments? No, just that it was brilliant and I loved it. We follow blind with another Talking Heads classic, which is Burning Down the House. Oh, yeah. This uh, is when it just, like, peaked. It just went up from here. Yeah. And this is, I think that they do it in blind but as well, but they perform a whole lot of it at the very, very front of the stage, which I can only imagine being there is just, like, an extremely crazy experience because it's, like, musically, this is, like, probably, like, the loudest and the most, like, dramatic moment and like to have that like right in front of your face must be must have been nuts i actually think i would have sold myself well i would sell my soul to go to that concert like that show just Mm. looked nuts i if you i was trying to study for this and i looked up like the show to see if any of the songs had been posted and there's audience recordings of like a bunch of the songs the funny thing is they're all shot from different seats in the audience and yet they all look similar because they all, like, you know how on concert videos you'd only have, like, the shitty zoomed-in view of, like, mm. the lead singer or maybe the drummer and it's all this whip panty stuff? Because they're at the front of the stage, the image is really HD and really big and stuff like that. Um, so I, oh, I imagine word. that it has this strange sort of, but in a good way, like, theatery, like, school performance where you actually feel close to the stage sort of thing. Well, it wasn't um, a huge theatre. Like, every time we saw the audience, it wasn't... Like chocolate. Yeah, it, well, it looked like it looked like the same sort of stage you'd have for a stand-up comedian or something like that. 
yeah, yet, yeah. This person's presence is just like running around and stuff, and yeah. <laughs> anyway, pretty cool. Burn down the house, iconic, great song. <laughs> Energetic. That's what I was saying before. That's I reckon that's their best. The song that translates the best into live version. Yeah. As opposed to album recording. I think I love, I just love the synth on it, like the and it's sort of like yeah. filthy at the same time as being yeah, defined. Yeah, it's filthy. I think it's not making sense. It's particularly filthy. There's something mm. about it. it They're it, just jamming yeah. in that. Mm. And then so even like the, the song. But I think the Burning Down the House funny. is like the, is the Talking Heads song that I knew from childhood out of well, all of them. Well, that's their only like the big, chart topper. Yeah. That got like what, top I, 10 or something like that. Oh, I thought um, Once in a Lifetime was huge because on the video countdowns, that one comes up because it has the famous video. What's the video? Um, I don't even know this. Oh, you've got to watch the I'm, videos. I'm outing myself as yeah. a fake yeah. fan. Well, Iconic. if you're finding the video, you'll feel like you've stumbled across a gem because it's, it's a classic. It's like um, him in front of a bad green screen, but probably cutting edge at the time, just doing these ones. Oh, so, oh, so you don't know board. that one. Yeah, the chopping board is from that. So it's like a That's signature why- move. Oh my goodness! Yeah. There's just this he- heaven. Like, You'll be blown away. You'll love it. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. It's, it's a great video. It's peak. And the whole silly thing man where he's like getting dance. punched. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Amazing. Okay. Well, you I think we're nice. almost at the home stretch. We've got three songs, maybe. Yes. So maybe something we can actually comment on, but I guess we already have, which was "Hell You Talking About" comes on next. Um, yeah. That was powerful. And even like positioning in the set list, like going after. Um, Burning down, down the house, where you've like got the audience like up and like your full their full attention, and to put this song afterwards, I think it was like a very deliberate choice. And then, you know, the it's, cutaways and stuff, and and just like the song itself, like forcing not forcing, but really you're, you're engaging with the audience, like you know, say his name, say her name, like and ask, and and the performers coming up and trying to get them to call back is like super powerful, you know. Yeah, it was just mm. confronting. And, mm. like, it wasn't, yeah, some, like, soft political message kind of, like, yeah. sandwiched in. It was like, hello, we're going to scream it at you. Yeah, mm. I don't know. And, yeah, and, best but, get involved. Yeah, but just, like, what a really, I mean, obviously credit to Janelle Monáe for, like, writing the song in the first place. Yeah. But I just, like, a really smart, confronting, powerful way of doing that message, I think. That was the only point in the whole movie that felt... Um, like, um, I remember when we left the cinema, Tom, you were like, I mean, little silky apologies, everyone. Um, <laughs> Who am I? That was the only point. At, that was the, um, oh my goodness, I'm lost for words. I've fumbled. <laughs> you, we left the cinema and you were like, oh, I felt very engaged the whole time, very immersed. Like you weren't really thinking about um, the fact that you were watching a movie. And then there was that moment um, during the Janelle Monet cover where they cut away and showed the the mothers holding the pictures of um, their children who were murdered. And that was like, oh, I'm, I'm watching a movie. Like that really took you away from it, mm. from the whole mm. immersive experience of it. But again, like you said, that's very deliberate. Yeah. And your comment about how it's uh, a non-tokenistic show, like political message, um, I think it's so crazy, you know, and crazy good, I mean, that he um, – gives like the third last song to a political message. I think that's an yeah. important part of it. Like he just, he has all this momentum as Nick was saying um, and then gives it to a political message is powerful and sort of humble, you know, like you're not slapping it in the third uh, almost yeah. done part of the yeah. concert set list. And I'm, I'm going to 
at the risk of moving things along, like I have to say that the, the, the sequencing of like these last four tracks, I think is like really, really great. So you've got burning down the house into this and then you go from this and you go, how are you possibly going to follow this? And then they go into the, but they do. and they go into the acapella version of one fine day, which is a recent David Byrne song and one that I had heard, but I guess not really paid that much attention to, but it's like this version of it is like so beautiful and when I'm putting this album on shuffle now, I'm starting with a song every time. Like, there's something about it that's very, very moving and, and just like a great rendition of the song, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one to me also felt like a classic. Um, and I think it's really good because they, after sort of taking you through this narrative thing where it's about like how weird's the world and then sort of like taking it political and telling everyone to vote and stuff like that then it's it's cool that he ends it with optimism and uh, unity and stuff like that. Um, that's not an angle you had to take, but it just finishing on two optimistic songs is really wholesome. I find Road to Nowhere, I mean, I'm, again, at the risk of moving along, I find <laughs> Road to Nowhere to be like a really nihilistic song. <laughs> Cause oh, it, really? Yeah, like it's, it's optimistic in a way that's like, yeah, well, what are we doing anyway? Like, you know, we're on a road to yeah. nowhere. That's kind of the mood. That's the but, optimism okay. I'm and, here for. That's like, I, yeah, oh, we're we're doing this blindly, but we're doing it together, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm going to praise after that song, I go, are they going to end on that? And I go, and I'm like, oh, I thought they'd end on something that's more, more of an iconic song, but, you know, like that was a great song to follow it up with anyway. And then they go to Road to Nowhere, which is obviously like big communal energy and they get down the audience and all that sort of stuff. And it, it's like another like terrific like selection, I think, and sequencing thing to do. Mm-hmm. And even just song-wise, like the structure of it is really great. Um, I don't think it's a style of song that I would necessarily be drawn to, but there's something about it that ma- it's just like it's a really yelling. good... Yeah. Um, and Yeah, yeah, the ad-libs. The ad-libs are so hey. good. He's hey. just like, yeah, yeah, he's ca- yeah. Yeah. So good. Cowboy David Byrne. And, and that bridge where there's a city in my mind. Like that's so mm. good. I love that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just great song and great moment, I think. Um, Again. Maybe a little bit of funniness happens when they start walking through the crowd and you get the GoPro coverage and you start watching background people not know what to do around the performance, of course. Um, yeah. But the thing is as well, every time I see that, I think that every... It's not... You go, oh, how embarrassing for the person in the audience who's on camera doesn't know how to dance. But it's like... Every Broadway show, they would be faced with people who have no idea what to do when confronted. So, like, if you're a professional performer, you're, you're dealing with people doing weird shit, like, all the time. Yeah. That, <laughs> you wouldn't even think about it. That brings that up for me in this concert because, like, they obviously edited a few different concerts together because you can see different people in the front of the crowd. One of the crowds has, like, the lamest person absolutely going for it in every scene trying to be like the center of the background attention, waving their arms and oh, stuff. No. And it's it's so grim, oh, but, no, you know, no, it's no. also so flattering and positive that like someone loves your music so much that they want to perform their affection for your music like to the crowd. Like, because there are people going for standing ovations on like the first song in this performance and it's like, okay, chill, pace yourself. <laughs> but hmm. anyway. Yeah, funny. Uh, plus, Road to Nowhere... They just don't know when to end it. And I don't mean that negatively, but they just repeat the end part so many times as they walk around the crowd. And I wonder if the crowd's got a sense of like, okay, uh, okay, we're going again. 
Uh, another four bars. Yeah. But. Well, they had to do a whole lap of the the audience before yeah. they can conclude. <laughs> you really Otherwise, they would be like stuck now. down there in the crowd, and it would be real awkward for everyone involved. It made me think of the national concert, Nick, when Matt Berenger like got off stage, was walking around with the the leaded mic, yelling out the data, the data. And like he's getting mobbed by everyone, just screaming. But he does and that every like concert, that. and there's that extra part of that where it's a leaded mic, so he's like cutting people's heads Killing off while he people, walks yeah. through, <laughs> and it's a deliberate choice because he knows he's going to be in the crowd. Just makes yeah. it funny. <laughs> and then um, we're at the end, aren't we? And then I guess yes. the last thing to talk about with the movie is probably the best. Okay, so they all go backstage. Um, one of the performance yells, world, world star at the camera. Great moment. <laughs> That's like a rap um, battle thing. Is that? Yeah. World star's like the, um, like the videos of fights, <laughs> which oh, is okay. just like the most nonsensical use of the term after like <laughs> tiny little David concert. Byrne yeah. concludes his concert. <laughs> Petite little man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like a wholesome moment in a way where it's like, you've, yeah, you've got David Byrne who's 60 years old who probably has no idea what that even means. And it's just like... It's nice to see, like, these different performers on stage together, I guess, is the point. Well, that's yeah. the, when the movie gets really, like, um, you know, unfiltered. After watching a whole choreographed routine, yeah. it's like uh, GoPro footage, as yeah. you say. And, yeah, so, like, the shot of David Byrne leaving on his bike is, like, made my heart melt, like, and it's so funny. Like, David Byrne on his bike is, like, the, you know, most iconic <laughs> duo ever. I remember well, I was at a, at a um, it's like a random uh, like fashion shop and they had a book on bicycles and it was like forward by David Byrne. Mm. <laughs> just a photo of David Byrne in New so York with his bike, bike talking. Man. He's the bike man. So funny. It just made me want to like wrap him in a little blanket. He looks so cute. Well, also, well, he, it might have been because like his jacket did make him look like a marshmallow. Yeah, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> well, I think that it's a good little put thing to put in the, the movie because it makes him look so uncomfortable with the crowd. Like, mm. he just, like, wants to get the fuck out of there and get on his bike and ride away. Like, he doesn't engage with yeah. them at all. Yeah. Well, you see um, the so performer think... mask come off. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's like, good... weird alien David Byrne again. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and that's the thing. And it's just, like, you really get the sense from David Byrne that he's, like, tr- spent his whole life trying to work out people through, like, through his art, you know. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. And he's, like, a really just inspiring person for that, for that reason, I think. Like, mm. Yeah. I liked the scene of them all on their bike as well with mm. <laughs> with the choir rendition of um Everybody's coming to my house. Everybody's coming yeah. to my house, which I actually during the show like during the movie when he was like a choir did this rendition, but we're not going to play it. I was like, "Oh, yeah. that's a pity." So that was a nice little Yeah, nice touch. Nice little more gothic top. than I was expecting with like the the heavy piano sound well, like the he, he prefaced the it by saying it's really upbeat and I was like well, this is just certainly not upbeat at all it's is just, it it's, yeah this, this is... song the song he wrote is not a happy song like you need to change the music and I think that the choir like those melodies probably could work but just it doesn't take away like the, the minor chords in the song you know yeah you need to <laughs> if do anything, that it's thing. more dramatic on piano. That YouTube thing where you like change it so it's all in major chord, like yeah, um, yeah. Oh, what's the classic one? Um, REM smells like I. Oh, that, yeah, true. There's REM and it smells like Teen Spirit and Major Key. That's a good one. <laughs> well, that's more the than prob- a feeling, possibly, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. Possibly the best one is Fireflies, but every note is C. <laughs> <laughs> 
My oh, fa- God. It's peak music. You it's would peak. not believe your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's unreal. Ginny's um, got lots of that, viewing to do. I've got is, so much homework is, to go away with. Is that the note that we finished the American Utopia discussion on? I think we have to wrap it. It's definitely... We've, we've definitely spoken more than an hour. <laughs> it's past my yeah. bedtime. All right. Well, I think we're out of time. We should be. They're taking us off the air. Okay. So, <laughs> I'll start with you, little Silky. What, did, what worked for you with this film? Um, the cinematography is amazing. Love seeing a concert movie where they're doing zooms and framing things, so it actually enhances what the performance would have looked like. Um, I love the lighting. It's really cool. I'm glad to see people taking full advantage of it. I love how fun music looks in this. Um, and I had another one. But yeah, I love the performance. Go for it. <laughs> I love like, this. <laughs> make performances where you actually go for it. I'm happy to see that. What worked for you, Ginny? What worked for me? Uh, the choreography, the polished nature of the performance worked for me. I loved the uh, the chopping board, as we've discussed. Um, <laughs> the Similarly, the cinematography, I felt like I was prioritised as a viewer of a movie, not secondary to viewers of the Broadway show. And there were all those little Easter eggs that we got as uh, viewers. And the political overtones throughout the entire performance. I love that he took a stand and he talked about what he believed in. All right. And this is maybe a difficult one, but what didn't work for you? Or what would you change? Sorry, that's the question. Gee, can someone else answer first? <laughs> well, you don't have to answer if you don't want to change anything. Maybe there was probably something bad in there when you were sleeping that <laughs> you just happened to. They miss should have paused it. the so film. Virginia, I would, a nap. If, if I could change anything, it would be the time at which I watched this movie, so that I was not. <laughs> so I was. We more did watch awake. it kind of late. We watched it at nine ten session. Nine p.m. showing. I was yeah. exhausted. <laughs> right, Tom. I would just probably cut the songs I didn't like as much and that's no fault of him because I can see why you want to play, you know, all your songs. But then, you know, if I could switch in a few more Talking Heads songs over the David Byrne stuff I didn't like as much, I would just do that. All right. Okay. What is your verdict? Um, yeah, this is, I'm sort of, this one's almost a little hard to quantify for me. And it's because I think you burdened me as well as improved my podcast by having me watch Stop Making Sense. Um, Because having watched that, I do have to say that Stop Making Sense to me is probably better and more classic. But this is unreal, really good, the choreography so good and the lighting and stuff. This is a concert movie you'd show to someone who's not into him and they'd still enjoy it. So, for that reason, I will be giving it a four and a half. Okay. That's many stars. Ginny? It's almost Uh, as many as Parent Trap. Nearly. (laughs) I look forward to your official review of that. Um, My verdict, I mean, I think I'm just a real stan of uh, (laughs) the vibe and of the man, so therefore I give it five out of five, but I'm evidently quite quite liberal with my five out of five, so... (laughs) But everyone's entitled to give out their stars the way they want to give them out. That's what I believe. Yeah. Look, Can't I'm, I'm going to give them... Can't tell someone else how to use their stars. 
five out of five stars, five out of five giant suits. <laughs> and that's on What that. does Lenny give it? Lenny's currently curled up in fetal position. <laughs> Lenny's not sure about much, but he yeah. would be sure that this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Too much chaos for Lenny, maybe. Yeah, actually, he would be severely overwhelmed. He'd be like very anxious about the whole thing. All right. Um, I loved it. <laughs> I don't know what to say. All I can say is by comparing it, I guess, to Stop Making Sense Like You, Tom, which is like one of my favorite things ever and is easily a five. Um, and I've got to say this was I, – I, I agree and I think Stop Making Sense was better, but th- there's also a lot working for Stop Making Sense that is to do with its era and its time and just like how good – the music was and how ahead of its time it feels. Whereas this, like the fact that he like reinvented, you know, that he could pull off another concert movie of this, like this quality and it to feel as fresh and recapture that like energy of music as a 68 year old man is like crazy to me. And yeah, even just hearing like the newer stuff against the older stuff, like contextualizes it. And I feel like you get a lot of him as a, per- a, a human being. And like, I don't know this because like I've read his book and I've like been on a real talking heads dive this year or whatever. But I think that this is, there's a lot of personality in this that reflects well on David Byrne as well as everyone else in the band. Like it's just a real joy to watch. So I'm going to give it a five. I thought it was amazing. Terrific. Cool. Blew me well away. <gasps> Someone's my phone's phone. on low my battery. My phone's dying. No, no. <laughs> we're all dying. We're all, we're all dying. Sign. Road to nowhere. We're on the road, on the to, road nowhere. to nowhere. <laughs> See what I mean? Nihilistic. Well done, Where Kane. are we even going? All right. That was... A ride that pod. Mm-hmm. How do we even wrap that up? I'm exhausted. Funny With plugs. Funny dance. <laughs> funny man does. And that's all you need to know. You should redo the intro. So, just like uh, the show features many songs as we watch a funny man do funny dances. David Burns' American Utopia, or as known by its Swedish film release, oh, Funny I Man for- does funny dance. I didn't put dance. that joke back in. I didn't put that in. So there I you go. That's right. I'll Jamaican- leave it here. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know what to say. Thank you for being on the show. This was amazing. Lots Thanks of so fun. Thanks so much for having me. As we talked about before, this is the most detours we've done with a guest, but it's been very good. We now know your favorite Vampire Weekend song. We- <laughs> and, and I know yours. So. So, actually, here's my question. Do you, Let's just, about Talking Heads, like, do you have a favorite Talking Heads album and song? I think you said Blind was your favorite. No, not an album. They've just got so much back catalog that, I mean, as any older band, it's always going to be like a greatest hits album's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was, so I was about it. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like saying Stop Making Sense is a particularly, is a, like a perfectly fine answer to this, that is question as well, you know? Oh, does that count? No. But does a greatest hits album count? <laughs> Truly. Well, I mean, in any case. Anyway. It's all to squeeze. Um, well, we, we, that, that's a greatest hits exclusive, so just saying. Keeps bringing it back to Chili Peppers, even though that's- It's the only thing past. I know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Vampire Weekend Greatest Hits album, which is just all well, four of their albums blended. What can they? <laughs> what Vampire Weekend content can we cover? Who knows? They need to do a the, movie. We should I listen feel like he, to. He would have uh, helped to a movie. Oh or fuck something. yeah! Let's watch Neo Yokio, and we'll critically yeah. analyze that. Jaden Smith as well is that him? Yeah, and Jude and Judd Jude Jude Law. Jude Law. Wow, what a weird combo! Huge. You love to hear it. All right. Um, I can't remember what I usually say to wrap it up. <laughs> any plugs? And, yeah, Jenny anything McCoolies. you want to plug? Any content? Uh, yeah. Um, follow my letterbox. I'm not that active. Um, <laughs> what else do I want to plug? 
I want to plug my dog. <laughs> Is that an inappropriate thing to say? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. In any case, I'd like to right. uh, give done? my dog a plug. <laughs> <laughs> it still sounds inappropriate. All right, let's move on to you, Tom. <laughs> um, yes, follow Ego Problem on Facebook and follow me, Lil Silky, on Letterboxd and follow I'm Good Brother, the home of the Ego Hour podcast and all Ego Hour, Ego Problem productions. All right. Well, that, this has been a ride. Thank you, Ginny. Thank you, Lenny. Thank you, Tom. Um, we'll see you next week. This has been another classic. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in. Tell us who's done. Another antique shipwreck you spun. It's a Friday or a Tuesday.